persist until the formation of the National Wrestling Alliance in 1948. NWA as a central governing body, with its singular, undisputed world champion, would be absolute and undeniable. This control, combined with the expansion of the interstate highway system, and the inevitable popularity and availability of regional television, would usher in an era of wrestling that was defined by what would come to be known as the territory system. The territory system would dominate wrestling for nearly four decades, while the borders, authority, popularity, and obedience of individual NWA territories was in a near constant state of flux. To this day the impact and influence of these territories is still felt. Each territory had its own signature promoter and star. While it is impossible to cram these characteristics into a static, concrete map, we are damn sure going to try anyway. So open up your eyes We're before it gets too late Now one man is the way you can With the street lights running Don't give a damn A civil explanation That you'll never find Sinners never sacrifice We never leave them alone Is it really worth the price? Look at what we've done Never care for compromise Always threatening someone's life And it feels like the end of the world Welcome to another edition of This Week in Pro Wrestling. But this is a special one, Jimmy. Special? Well, we're not going to cover pro wrestling. In fact, we've got a returning guest, which Uh we don't do quite often, by the way. No. The great, well, let's call him the Big Cheese, Sal Corrente. Sal, thanks for joining us, buddy. How are you today? Good, good. A lot of rain down here in South Florida, but other than that, I'm good. That's good. A lot of rain here, too. What a coincidence. Sal, first, let's start off by thanking you for the introduction to David and Tommy. Last week's interview was wonderful, so we really appreciate the hookup. So much props to you, sir. No, uh, no, No problem. You know, guys like them, even though they had certainly had several moments in the sun, overall, um, their contribution is not really, um, you know, not really acknowledged. And, you know, Jimmy Hart used to say when people asked him who was the best wrestler, he said many times it's the person you never heard of. Mm. Yeah, you know, and that in the case of these guys, the stars trusted them and the stars worked with them. And, um, you know, you don't really hear complaints uh, about these guys because they're going out there. They know what they're being paid to do, and, and they do it. They make these guys uh, look good. Well, speaking of that, right, last time you were here, um, <clears throat> we, we, we weighed heavy on your book on the great Bruno Sammartino. Obviously, not many people were in Bruno's life's li- life like you were. No. And we, we had a massive discussion. But this time around, um, you know, you speak about people that may not be known or may not be in the mainstream, to be fair. Right. I could say that the big cheese, Sal Corrente. So we want to take that time to introduce you to the wrestling audience yet again for the people that aren't in a know 
and understand the life of the big cheese. Are you ready to make a run at this, Sal? Absolutely. Let's hit it. And, of course, we're learning more than ever that some of these guys that, you know, may not be in the main light are some of the best interviews. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sal, as we've had you on before, but we want to reintroduce you to our wrestling family. Can you tell us where you grew up, please? Uh, Yonkers, New York. That's right, in the hotbed. Excellent. What was your first involvement in pro wrestling? Well, it was very interesting. Gentlemen, That uh, this photo you're showing actually was uh, at an event in Yonkers, and that's Afa Jr. over my left uh over my left shoulder. Mm. Um, a very young Alpha Jr., but that's him. Uh, I worked with a guy, we both grew up on Beach Street in Yonkers. His name is Anthony Atanasio, and he would become a major factor later in the Wrestle Reunion events. But uh, he started an appliance repair company. Today it's called The Appliance Doctor. Back then it was A&A Refrigeration. He happened to get a call to go fix a refrigerator at the home of a guy named Dominic Marcello, who grew up a few, I don't know where he grew up for, per se, but he lived a few blocks away from us. And him and a guy named Mike Devanzo are responsible for actually getting me into um, going to the TV tapings in Allentown, getting me the job working security at the TV tapings. Um, but I didn't know anything about anything except wrestling was on on Saturday nights. But uh, Dominic showed uh, Anthony all of these pictures um and stuff and you know anthony said hey man he even had a picture of that guy the grand wizard without his turban on and he said you can come to his house anytime you want i can bring you over so i went i didn't even know the tapings took place in allentown at the time um but he told me that where they took place i asked if i could go along and they said sure if you're willing to split expenses that was the day buddy rogers came back to the wwf they immediately introduced me to the guy in charge of the building he put me uh, in charge of the back door, letting the wrestlers in and out. And then on the, the next night, I ended up taking care of the guys. Um, I was young. I was probably just 18. I would get the coffee and soda on the heel side in Hamburg and keep an eye on the guys. And, you know, if they tried to go out and cool off or, you know, George Steele, you know, would, would end up scattering the crowd if the crowd got too close. It was pretty amusing after a while. But um, that's what we did for a long time until they moved up to Poughkeepsie. But along the way, I was introduced to Alpha and Sika, who were very close to Mike and Dominic. And I'm very blessed they took a liking to me right away. And um, I started uh, speaking with them. We started going to their home. Alpha started teaching me uh, the wrestling business, the psychology of the wrestling business. And, uh, you know, we just start making towns. And eventually I became a referee through, um, and believe me, it wasn't easy, uh, Senator Joe Pisani. And New York got me my license because uh, I was blocked at every turn, which is I'm sure many people were, not just me. But finally, I was able to break through and get my license to start refereeing. And, uh, you know, based on the training Offit did with me, um, I was able to do okay. You, know, it, you, you just brought, off, brought up, uh, brought up Offit Sika. In wrestling right now, if you're watching today's wrestling, the bloodline is one of the hottest angles at least for the last couple of years for yep. sure if not one of the great all-time angles i think can, it is can you go a little deeper into your relationship with the uh Afasika and the entire family uh you know things you might have done with them maybe being at the house who you met uh what things you did with them as far as maybe doing shows or, or anything of that level sure Ab absolutely um 
So we're often secret concerned. Many times we'd go to towns. They lived on Shepherd Avenue in Hamden, Connecticut at the time, and me and Mike would drive up there often. Well, first they lived a little bit further up, then eventually they moved down. There's numerous pictures. Now, that's in front of the George. The picture you're showing there was taken the very first day that I met the Mike DeVanzo was taking the picture. That's in front of their room at the um, George Washington Lodge, which doesn't exist anymore in Allentown. It's the site of a Home Depot now. But that was the very first day I met him. So I was pretty much scared to death. But, um, you know, we were, you know, as long as they were in the area, we would go where they were and uh, sometimes drive them home, sometimes just meet them there. Um, we'd go up uh, for dinners. Um, if they, one time everybody was getting together in Springfield at the place called the Hooky Lau, which is only recently closed, um, where Afa's cousin would perform, Altoa Ripley, um, and his family, they were, they were amazing. Um, so, you know, we were as inside as we could be being on the outside. As time goes, went by, we just got closer. And when the Samoans left the WWF, then they started running shows. Of course, I refereed on all those shows. And then um, my first plane flight, Alfred had always told me, get a passport. You never know when you're going to need it. So I did. And um, I went up to do a tryout for an pro overseas promoter in Alfred's backyard. And next thing I know, I'm on a plane uh, heading to Doha in Qatar. And uh, we performed there and in the Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. And uh, then we came back home and we went back to Cairo, Egypt. And uh, we did 10 days, I think, in Cairo. And then the WWF uh, came in right after us. Matter of fact, we were still in town when they got there. So that building had wrestling for like 20 days straight. It was an outdoor facility and there was wrestling between us and them. It was there every night. Could I ask you about that particular tour? Uh, sure. On, on the Young Rock, they have an episode where Rocky's working for the WWE or WWF, but he decides to go on that tour, and Vince finds out and fires him. Now, again, I don't know if it was a true story. Was it fabricated, or did they expand on it? Did you know anything about this, and can you go a little deeper into it? Was there any truth to that story? You know, there might have been some truth to it. What I know is we all went at the same time, and Rocky did not come with us. He arrived on a separate plane. So there may have been discussion up and down whether he was going to come or not. But, um, you know, it, it, look, it was a long time ago. I, I, don't, I can't say I remember specific details other than he definitely did not arrive with us. So you have a long history, obviously, with the Samoans. Did you get the opportunity uh, along the way to come across the kids of the Samoans who are now Roman Reigns and uh, Jay and Jimmy Uso? Um, yeah, I believe I met uh, Roman Reigns when he was very young at Madison Square Garden. And Jimmy and Jay, even though they wouldn't remember it because they were young kids, often seek a sister was having a birthday party in Pensacola. I was there. And the two kids were just running around. And, you know, obviously I had no idea that, um, you know, they would eventually be the toast of the town. But, uh, you know, that was my involvement with them because I never really got to Pensacola much. Um, you know, other times once I started actually wrestling, you know, I've tagged with Sika. I tagged with Afa. I tagged with nice. Afa and Sika. Wow. And, uh, you know, then we had some 10-man tags with, with those guys and, and so forth. And I tagged with the kids. Somewhere on my page there's a picture of me, Samu, Rosie, and, um, and uh, Lloyd, um, the uh, 
uh, Alpha's other son. Uh, we did an eight-man tag in Yonkers. Uh, so, you know, I got a lot of ring time in in with these guys as well. Let's go, a little, let's go back a little bit, though. So, again, we don't know much, right? We're not involved. We don't. No, well, you're right. We don't. <laughs> go ahead. But, go Sal, ahead. we always hear that back in that day, it was very hard to break into business if you didn't have a family member. How were you able to break that first, you know, maybe get past the curtain, just being someone no one knew? Like, how did how did everybody gravitate towards you? How did you pull that off? Um, I, I don't know. It's the same as when people ask me with Bruno, why me? I, I really don't have an answer. Uh, often Sika took a liking to me. They saw I was an honest person and, uh, you, you know, and that I had a love for the business and, you know, Alpha just started teaching me. But psychology-wise, um, the truth is I got into the ring with very little to no training whatsoever. But, you know, I had the right opponents, guys like uh, gorgeous Gary Royal, um, who could basically make anybody look like a champion. And I just kind of learned as I went. And, uh, it, you know, I mean, a lot of it doesn't make sense, but it, it all worked out uh, fine. But why they trusted me i i don't know um I, I just i just don't i do know that the guys trusted me though and uh you, you know all the guys from as far as i knew uh, so that's the best i can tell you but it wasn't easy to break in um it just wasn't guys didn't do a lot of that and so forth but you know alpha did those guys marched to the beat of their own drummer they always did and uh and now keep in mind these guys were very close to mike devanzo and dominic marcello very close on their first run through. Um, so, you know, they said I was all right. And, uh, you know, like the first day I was there, I told Alpha that I could do something. And he said, don't make a promise you can't keep. And Mike said, he can do it. I'm telling you. And um, that's the last thing I remember about that. We pretty much were taken in. Now, of course, at the beginning, I was taken in because of Mike. But eventually, you know, Mike had a wife and a family and I didn't. So, and he had a regular job. I was working different things where I could take off at any time. So eventually Mike couldn't always go. So it was more just me. So what was that favor that they asked you? Was it to bury someone in the back of Allentown? I mean, what was it? What? <laughs> no, if you, you know, no? if you watch some of these, if you watch some of these whole tapes, <laughs> Alpha had a snake. Okay. Um, you know, they had a the cha- snake on in Georgia on the TV and, mm-hmm. and uh, they just needed food for the snake. <laughs> Excellent. And who was the food? <laughs> who was the food? <laughs> Sal, being that you're yeah. new to the industry, though, and you start to wrestle, do any wrestlers try to take some liberties on you? You know, again, you hear those stories. Someone tries to break in. They want to break their ankles and all this other nonsense. Well, first of all, I didn't I didn't start wrestling until 92. And what we're talking about right now is more um, 82, 83, 84. Right. Um, I didn't start wrestling until we came back from Australia. As a matter of fact, I didn't even start managing until we went to Australia. Um, you know, at the time, uh, Rob Russin, who, who's passed on now, uh, he's actually responsible for breaking Diamond Dallas Page into the business. Mm. Um, through a series of misadventures on some overseas tours, I got involved with Rob Russin and uh, also started working with him pretty consistently from that point. Well, he negotiated this tour of Australia. Well, today everybody goes to Australia back and forth. Well, in those days, there hadn't been any wrestling in Australia from Americans since Jim Barnett. 
but we got this tour booked. It was going to be a month, and Kamala was going to be the star of the tour. Well, um, you know, I was the booker. So now Rob booked certain guys that he just wanted, case closed. Um, you know, on that tour, it was Lethal Larry Cameron, who's passed on. It was uh, Derek Starfire Dukes, Cousin Luke, um, a guy named Rick Larivas, who looked like a million bucks. The girls loved him. Um, but I was able to book some people, and that's where I booked Gene Ligon um, as the Thunderfoot. And then, um, you know, talking about David Isley, I wanted David on the tour because, you know, in those days we were inseparable, living in the same town, and um, Rob just didn't see that it fit. But because Joel Deaton really couldn't be a Thunderfoot anymore, when I finally suggested uh, that David be a Thunderfoot, uh, Rob said, well, if it's okay with Gene, it's okay with me. And, uh, of course, Gene was in the same crew with us, so he was totally fine with David doing it. And, uh, actually, Baby Doll made, uh, made some outfits for them. And we took them over there. And uh, the Thunderfoot team, whether it was Joel Deaton and Gene or David and Gene, just drew natural heat everywhere they went. I mean, it's kind of interesting. These guys just walk into a building and people hated them. Um, so it worked out um, well. Now, we ended up getting over there, and we really didn't understand what we were going to be walking into. Um, we were wrestling in a tent in the amusement park, and we only had a 30-minute time limit, period. The show starts on time, it ends on time, no questions. So, you know, we did some different things, but the first thing I did in a place where there had been no American wrestling is I sent, I think, Cousin Luke out with somebody, maybe even Rick Laribus, and I did the most ridiculous thing. It was a nothing. And uh, everybody said, what in the hell are you doing? And I said, I want to see the crowd's reaction. If the crowd blows their gasket, we're going to have a very easy time here. If the crowd pisses on it, then we know we're going to have to do something else. Well, it was just the most simple heel finish. The people went berserk. I said, guys, just sit back and relax. This, this is gonna, we're just going to waltz right through this whole thing. And, um, you know, we'd have three matches. Paul Orndorff got in the ring the first night wrestling Gene Ligg and his Thunderfoot. And I looked at him and I said, two minutes, Paul. And he said, What? I said, two minutes, that's it. you got to be out of the ring. And that's what it was. Now, halfway through the tour, you know, as you started to mix guys up, um, you know, David Isley had never worked heel before, uh, at least not to my knowledge. And he certainly never worked heel under a hood that I was aware of. Um, he was always a baby face, um, you know, any match I was in with him, which was many. Well, Orndorff took a liking to him, and he eventually came to me about halfway through the tour and said, look, I'm not interested in working with anybody else. I just want to work with this kid every night. So these guys went out there and tore the house every damn night until the last night. Then we had to put him in the ring with Kamala, and he was told that up front. He said, look, you do whatever you want up till then, but last night we got to finish up with Kamala and you. And, uh, and, and that's what we did. And then from there, and I was refereeing and being Kamala's manager. So it was, uh, you know, it was double duty plus, plus doing the booking. But to be honest with you, we had such a great time over there. It was only 30 minutes worth of work, all free food, beautiful chauffeurs driving us anywhere we wanted to go. Nobody really wanted to go home. Um, and we were supposed to go back the next year and the year after that. But unfortunately, things happen sometimes and uh, the deals get ruined. But, uh, you know, we had a great time over there. But we were the first ones to break it in back. And we were on all the shows. Um Paul Orndorff and Al Green and Mark Laurinaitis were on one of the biggest shows in the country there called Hey, Hey, It's Sat Day. And that thing was on 25 or 30 years. 
And then we were on Good Morning Australia, um, uh, the Ray Martin show, which was huge um, over there at the time. And um, I think the Today Show in Australia, we had all major publicity, and the park was extremely happy with us. So that was just, it was a great tour. And uh, when I came back, I decided to start managing. And, uh, you know, we did a lot of independent stuff around. And uh, guys like Isley, Tommy Angel, Gary Royal, we all lived in the same area. And there was this local guy there named Willie Clay. And um, Willie was trained, trained to wrestle. And um, he had always wanted to do it. And he did it. And he started promoting shows. And even though they were little shows, they were a couple of miles drive. And the people believed in Willie. The people loved Willie, even though he was not a star wrestler at the time, hadn't been on TV yet or anything. And... Um, we eventually turned heel on him. And quite honestly, me and David needed police security just to get to our cars. Mm. I mean, these people wanted to kill us. And, uh, you know, that went on for a long while. And then, uh, you know, that kind of wrapped up for me when the Michael Hayes was going to the WWF. Me and um, Gary Royal and another guy named the Buddha, who's also passed on, we wrestled uh, Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin on the last night before Michael was going to the WWF. We would have been their last match, except they had a double shot, so they had to leave uh, Concord, North Carolina, and shoot down the road, wrestle somewhere else. But um, we were one of the last two matches that Michael Hayes had outside of the WWE. Uh, did you bring a doctor along to that Australian tour, just in case the boys got hurt? Maybe like a... Um, doc, well, the, like boy, the boys did get hurt. Um, it was... Uh, it was tough. No, we did not bring a doctor, but this was a major, major amusement park, and there was everything there was needed. But uh, Gene Ligon, you know, the Thunderfoots would sometimes do some comedy stuff, and I know he feels bad about it, but um, Gene was doing some stretching stuff and supposed to be funny stuff, and um, one of the guys started shaking the rope, and it was kind of chilly because, you know, we were there in July, but that's their winter. So it was kind of chilly, and uh, Gene Liggins, um, oh, whatever thing it is, snapped, and uh, it was tough. I, I mean, it was really tough. I think he wrestled Paul that night, or maybe they were in an elimination tag match or something. We had to get him out of there immediately um, because uh, because he could barely walk. And then Cousin Luke hit uh, Rick Laribus, the we called him the gladiator, hit him with a clothesline, and I think he was knocked silly for a couple of days. So, um, so yeah, there were there were some injuries. Um, I think we might have had um, had to use Steve Rickard. I think was over there, and he might have got us a local guy to use a couple of nights while Gene was recovering. Sal, you mentioned something interesting a little while back about that it was very difficult for someone to become a referee. That many of them were blocked. Was it a matter of knowing somebody back in those days? What what, what well, allowed well, you? Well, keep in mind. I'm talking about New York State at the time. Right, right. Okay, yes. It was definitely a matter of knowing somebody. Okay. Um, believe me, if Senator Pisani didn't intervene, I would have probably never gotten my license. Now, Offa would have put me in the ring anyway in other places. Mm. But to get the New York license, okay, I had to have – I mean, I tried several times, and it just didn't work out. And even then, getting the work after that was not easy. That's where, uh, you know, I was, I was happy that uh, another senator – intervened on my behalf and it's sad that it had to be this way because i was as qualified as anybody but that wasn't relevant um you, you know but if you were a referee in new york state you knew somebody end of story 
Mike, I find that mind-blowing. Senators getting involved so someone can get a pro wrestling referee license. Well, if you... That's wild. Now, if keep you... in mind, when I say get involved, you write a letter of introduction, okay. something like that. Right. Um, I got you. You know, but that... I mean, it's like anything else. The message is clear. Right. If a senator is going out of his way to have a letter of introduction sent, right. then that's what it is. Now, of course, all of that's changed. I mean, the WWEs are their own referees today. Um, it's no no big deal. And then but, again, you uh, got to understand if you do favors, okay, favors back, right? You know, okay. Once in a while, I'll go back for you. You know what I'm saying? So he did feed someone to the snake. Is that Might what you're be. saying? Might Very be. interesting. Very interesting. Sal, how do you? Set up a, a, a tour of Australia. Like, how does that even come in your mind? Like, I don't know. It didn't would, come in my mind. Rob Russin was the guy who set it up. I was his did, booker. He, he just, did all the he did all the towns and stuff that we worked in in those days. All I did was take his wrestlers that he wanted to be sure we used, and I would put the rest of them together, put the matches together. But he did all the business. Um, we did a lot of TV stuff, um, Sports Channel America. The Sunshine Network. Um, we did a big thing at the Horseshoe Casino in Louisiana. We used good talent, and most of that stuff has all been seen. Um, but I didn't do any of it. I strictly handled the talent. He didn't really want to be bothered with it too much. And uh, and look, after a while, it was the same with Afa. He would, um, you know, he certainly would put some people on the show, but you know, I would help him with that. And and then you know, after his training, you know, he'd have me come up with the finishes and stuff and. You know, one time, actually, he was going to the ring, and he said, what's my finish? I said, well, I, what the hell do I know? He said, you're coming up with the finishes. I said, well, I did for everybody else. I didn't think I needed to come up with it. He said, Sal, I don't have time for this shit. Tell me what my finish is. What am I doing? <laughs> you, you know, which was good because in my mind, I mean, look, first of all, Off is a ring genius. I mean, this guy was a great finish guy. He's unbelievable. And the fact that he trusted me to do what he was brilliant at, you know, said a lot for me. It's quite the compliment. You know, you mentioned earlier, you know, as you're breaking into the business, this is the time where Mike and I are really breaking into being wrestling fans. And uh, you mentioned Ernie Roth, the Grand Wizard, which is one of the all-time greats, especially with the, uh, what was it, the unholy trinity between Blassie Albano and the Wizard. What was the Grand Wizard like? One of the greatest guys you ever want to meet. And he gave me one of the greatest compliments of my life as well. Um, at one point, uh, you know, he told me, he said, um, you know, I told him I wanted to be a referee. He said, look, if I was still promoting towns, you'd be refereeing for me for sure. He said, because you're the right size, especially in those days. I was about 170 pounds and only 5'8". Um, he didn't necessarily think that certain people fit you. What you didn't want is guys that made the wrestlers look small. You know, so very tall sure. might be a concern in the wrong match, right. et cetera, et cetera. So I did appreciate that, but... You know, what I consider a compliment, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier, is he was looking for change of a quarter one day. And uh, somebody said, I've got it, Ernie. And I said, I got it here, Ernie. So he took it from me. And, you know, the guy said, Ernie, I told you I had it first. Why'd you take it from him? He said, it's very simple. From him, I wouldn't have to count it. With you, I would. <laughs> very good. <laughs> Smart Sal, Hayes Machine says... Sal works as an advert advisor to Stan Lane. Is there anyone else that uh, uses Sal as an advisor or agent? I don't know if you are an advisor to Sal. I'm assuming Hayes Machine is right. Stan Lane. Um, 
you know, as I'm not involved in the business on a day-to-day basis anymore, even though I have a lot of good relationships, um, the two people that I'm in touch with the most are Stan Lane and Jimmy Hart. Mm. Um, and yes, they, they certainly will ask my opinion on different things um, from time to time. And Stan's had some things, including being considered dead. And then this other thing, obviously, you're referring to, um, you, you know, where I've, I've certainly participated with some some advice. And then, of course, uh, wrestling things, conventions, um, things like that. Um, I stay in touch with those guys on a very regular basis. Stan has pretty much walked away from the business, doesn't communicate with anybody but myself or Jim Cornette. And, uh, and, um, and Jimmy, of course, is all over the place all the time. But uh, we talk on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, I just help out guys when I can. Um, but other than some of the underneath guys like David, I'm not really in touch with uh, guys. Gary Royal, I am. Uh, we worked together for many years. At a, we both worked in the health club industry as software trainers and stuff, which helped me a lot because it didn't matter where the booking was. I was able most of the time to, to go do something and uh, on the weekends and have the regular job during the week. So, Sal, I don't know if you still watch often today's present wrestling or the show Dark Side of the Ring, but I'm going to take a shot at this. Um, if you do watch, watching all these guys, and I'm, I'm assuming you've met quite a few of them, how does that program affect you? Do you think it sheds a bad light on the guys that you were friends with, or do you think it's a uh, necessary evil to keep interest in the pro wrestling business? I have to be honest with you. I hear about it all the time. People tell me I should watch it all the time. I've never watched any of it, um, not even for a minute. Uh, you know, look, to be honest with you, I was around through most of this stuff. Mm. I don't really need to see it on television. Um, it, you know, yeah, that was uh, at the Yonkers Raceway, that the picture you're showing there, and that's Rosie on the right, Samu, and then um, and then Lloyd, Lloyd there on the left. Uh, so that's Sika's son on uh, my right, and then Offa's boys on the left. So if I was to throw a quick, you know what? This is a great opportunity to ask this question. Hit it. So that Samoan family tree is, is very, very difficult. It's phenomenal. If I asked you to go and run down the Samoan family tree for me, do you think you could do it? What? Well, I mean, to a certain level, there's more and more guys coming, but, um, you, you know, you've got Offa and Sika, and if you take Sika's... Um, Sika's child, you've got, you know, uh, Roman Reigns. Um, in Offa's, you've got, of course, Big Sam, um, and uh, which is, um, you know, Samu. And then you've got Offa Jr., and you've got Lloyd. Now, through their sister, you've got um, Rikishi, who at the time was the Tonga Kid number two. You've got Sam Fatu, which is the Tonga Kid number one. And their their brother uh, also wrestled for a short time. I can't really remember his name right now, but he remes- he wrestled for a short time as well. I don't believe he ever got any TV in, but he he was he was also a good hand. Now, of course, Rikishi's sons are are, uh, are uh, Jimmy and Jay, and um, the other guy Solo is uh, also Rikishi's son. Um, Sam Fatu, the Tonga kid, um, the guy wrestling in the um, 
oh, what's the name of that group? The Jacob Fatu is mm. uh, is related to uh, Tonga Kid. Now, a lot of people think the Tonga Kid and Rikishi are twins. I can absolutely guarantee you they are not twins, period. That's, that's a, a false story that seems to stir up from time to time. Um, you, you know, that's about – now, somewhere, uh, Reno, Anawaii, the Black Pearl – is in there too. That's probably I'm going to assume it's another brother of uh, of the Samoans. But it's a you know it's a pretty pretty large group. Where's, and uh, Lance Anawaii, of course, is Samu's son. Uh, very good kid, very talented. Probably deserves more of a break than he's getting. Where is Umaga on that tree? Umaga is oh, and of course um, Yokozuna. Of course, Yokozuna. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Yokozuna, his name is uh, Rodney Anawaii, so he's he's a brother. Matter of fact, his first tour was when we went to Egypt. He didn't even have a name at that time. They called him Rodney the Tank. Those were his his first matches, so I probably refereed his very first first matches over there in in Egypt. Sal, Um, I, I heard a rumor about you being in Egypt, and tell me how true it is. I heard you flew all the way to Egypt and you refused to go see the Egyptian pyramids. Why? How true is that? What? Well, it's it's half true because uh, I refused, but Afa came and let me know that I wouldn't be refusing. <laughs> can, uh, can you elaborate so, a little more, please? Oh, yeah. He said, get your ass up out of that bed. Where I'm told this is important. We're going. And you're coming. And end of story. So, so why, didn't you wanna, why didn't you want to see... The- the pyramids the pharaoh is very a, confused i'm not a sightseeing guy oh i mean i'm just right. i'm just not wow um but like i said i wasn't given an option <laughs> <laughs> well after you weren't given an option what was it like personally seeing egyptian pyramids yeah eh. just like looking at it in a picture <laughs> the thing that i remember oh the, the thing that i remember the most about it is when samu and some of these other guys went out for a camel ride the guy tried to hold them up out there for money, and of course they gave it to him. But then when they came back in, they told the boss that he forced them to give him more money, and he started beating the guy with a stick trying to get the money from there him. There you go. Wow. There you go. Oh, my God. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I believe that. All right, so smarten us up a little bit, right? We had John Arizzi in studio, and we knew John Arizzi as fans that he was like – maybe the OG of signings. And we really didn't know you, Sal, at the time. But now, from what I understand, is you are really the master of the pro wrestling signings. Could you elaborate on that and tell us how you put that together? Well, look, you know, a guy like John Arezzi did stuff before, you know, I was really doing anything. And um, he certainly uh, was around a lot, knows everybody, and did some things. What I did was put together a company called Wrestle Reunion. And the thing that I changed was I brought a lot of legendary matches together. I mean, if anybody wants to go to Wikipedia, type in Wrestle Reunion. We had three gangbuster shows with a lot of uh, feuds, um, a lot of things that maybe you'd never seen before. Certainly things that you couldn't see on any street corner um, on independent wrestling on a regular basis. Um, the uh, the bottom line is some of that wasn't easy. I mean, oh, there's only two promoters, uh, Paul Heyman and myself, in the last, I'd say, 20 to 30 years that got Terry and Dory Funk in the ring together. Believe me, it's, it sounds a lot easier than it is. Mm. But um, 
we got that done. And of course, I know Paul Heyman since we were both very young. He grew up very close to me in Scarsdale, New York, and you know, Yonkers just the next town uh, over. And uh, we'd worked together pretty early on in, in my career as well. Uh, let's see. I put all three of the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette in a tag match against the Rock and Roll Express and the Fantastics. Wow. Um, nice. You know, there were a lot of special things. Um, you know, I talked to Bob Orton Jr. I wanted him to wrestle. He said it was absolutely out of the question. He wouldn't do it. And he said if I needed to cancel him off the event, that he understood that too. So next thing I know, I'm in Portland sitting down with Roddy Piper and then getting together with Buddy Rose and Colonel De Beers, and I told him I wanted Bob Orton to do the show, and Bob refused. And uh, Buddy said, you call Bob and you tell him you met with me, and I said this. I said, he'll do it. So I don't even remember what he told me to tell him, but when I was done, he said, you know what, Sal, I'm going to do it. So we did that. Shortly after that match he had there in Tampa, he was back in the WWF. And uh, Gorgeous Gary Royal is the former NWA junior heavyweight champion. Um, he had worked a tremendous amount with Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty in Kansas City when those guys were just starting out. He was the seasoned veteran at the time. And uh, when I asked him who he wanted to work with, he said, well, I'd like to work with Shawn Michaels, but I know that's not realistic. He said, but if you could get Marty Jannetty, that would be great. So I called Marty and I booked him. I could tell by the look in his face when he came up to me that he had no idea what he was booked on. We had 95 wrestling legends in that building. And he, he really seemed to have no clue what was going on. So uh, he said, um, could you tell me who I'm wrestling tonight? And I said, yeah, Gary Royal. And he said, Gary Royal. He said, you mean the real one? I said, yeah, the real one. So Gary came to me later and he said, um, Marty wanted to know how he got booked on the event. And I told him that, you know, I suggested him. Now, those guys went out there, had a solid match. Very short time later, Janetti was right back in WWE now. His stay didn't last long, but based off his performance at Wrestle Reunion, he was right back there in WWE. And, you know, many times for the Wrestle Reunion events, I had to work with WWE on different things um, because I would have guys booked. We were doing things on Royal Rumble weekend, but uh, they would work with us and we would work with them. And um, it all worked out fine. Now, that was in the day when I was booking all of the talent and they all worked for me. There were no outside vendors. There was no nothing. And in those days, I was accused of ripping people off. 95 wrestlers, autographs, um, QAs, the whole nine yards, $299. Today, one guy might want $299 for an autograph and a picture. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. And we had, we had 95 guys. So it, it's just um, it, it's crazy to me how that all went. Now, the Wrestle Reunion tapes have never been seen before. They got tied up in litigation. There was a big trial with Live Nation. Of course, it's all on the Internet um, and uh, so forth. But I've recently received, gotten the tapes back. I'm going to do what I can um, here pretty soon to get them digitized. Now, if you guys look on Google and see the matches at WrestleUnion 1, 2, and 3, it's all pretty amazing stuff. Um, we had Steve Williams' comeback match from cancer. Uh, Bruno and Larry Zabisco got physical in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. Mm. The Dudley boys wrestled the Midnight Express uh, unfortunately, we were, I wanted a six-man wow. with Spike Dudley and Stan Lane, but Stan was doing his powerboat racing in New York, so he couldn't make it, so we didn't bring Spike in either. But the Dudleys were very happy just to have the chance to work with Bobby and Dennis. Uh, we had Dusty Rhodes against Terry Funk, with Mick Foley being the guest referee. Mm. 
Um, Tully Blanchard wrestled for the NWA title. Perhaps it was the only time he ever did that. It was just one match after another. It was all great stuff. Jimmy all Snook, for, the tag for, team with Roddy Piper. All for $299. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I want to see unreal. these matches like now. So, yeah. going back to the video when you digitize them, right, um, what's your plan? Are you going to, like, create a channel? Are you going to try to monetize it through a website? What's the plan? Um, you know, I, I don't know that any of that is viable. Um, we're going to put together a sizzle reel. And just try to market it. Um, right. I'm hoping WWE or AEW will take a look at it. Mm. Um, it. You know, that's really where it needs to go. But I will tell you that of the wrestling legends out there, this is probably the only film that has never been seen. Now, many people still ask us to this day, and this was from 2005, when it's possible um, that they could see this stuff. And, you know, it's almost 20 years later, and I still get asked. Mm. Um there's never been seen by anybody, and when I say anybody, I mean including me. Wow. It's just it's just there. We will get it digitized, we'll make a sizzle reel. Who knows? You might find one person in the country who just wants to buy the whole thing out and they can do whatever they want with it, put it in their private collection. But well, ultimately it belongs on a WWE network or if AEW gets a streaming going, this is the kind of thing that really they should have. I don't know of any other tapes made with legends that have never been seen by anybody. Well, if you run out Especially of Especially with these kind of one-time only matchups. If you run out of options, you can always put it on our channel. We can <laughs> charge people $29.99 to see it. There you go. <laughs> Unfortunately, I just don't think that, you know, look, these Wrestle Reunion events cost a lot of money. And I eventually decided to bail out. And what I did was I took – see, I got involved in the celebrity autograph business very early. Uh, people uh, – Group out in Los Angeles, the Hollywood Collector Show, Ray and Sharon Courts, taught me everything I know about the autograph business. They were great people. Um, I started attending their events, seeing what was going on. They ended up treating me like a friend eventually, and they taught me the whole business. And they actually came down and helped in um, Wrestle Reunion in Tampa. Um, you know, these folks, they just, they started the whole, they started the whole autograph um business before celebrity shows were just vendor cards and things like that. Then they's the one they started, they brought in Robert Shane who played inspector Henderson on Superman um, for their first event. And uh, from there it, it eventually just took off. So but, you mentioned, uh, I'm sorry, you mentioned uh, dealings with Roddy Piper. Did you have any uh, dealings with Randy Savage? Um, other than working with him in the ring? No. How was it taking no bumps, by the way? Was that easy for you uh, doing? Did you like actually doing the physicality of the pro wrestling itself? Or Oh, yeah, it was fine. Look, I knew what I was limited to and what I wasn't limited to. And, um, you know, again, no training uh, whatsoever. Um, but when I worked with Randy in the ring, I was it was strictly just as a referee. Um, as far as wrestling, um, other guys, you know, a lot with Gary Royal, um, uh, a guy named Gentleman Ken Timms, who who was fantastic. Pistol Pez Watley, and then, you know a lot of the local local guys around. Um, you know, I can't even think right. Now. Of course, I tag team with Stan Lane several times. Uh, you know, me and Sika teamed against Dominic Danucci and Preston Steele one time. Hmm. You, you know, 
so just different things. But I was I was careful. One, I don't want to make anybody else look bad. Certainly didn't want to get hurt. Um, but I'm very proud of one thing. No matter who I worked with, we never got booed out of any buildings. Now, that picture there that you're showing, that's, again, at the George Washington Lodge. That is the day after Hulk won the title in the garden. And I can't be sure, but based on the fact that he left the building, probably went straight to Allentown, that may be the very first picture that was ever taken with that belt with him. And, again, this was Mike Devanzo was very close to Hulk on his first run through. So when we got to the hotel, he uh, he called over there. That that was a great hotel. Almost everybody stayed there. Um, that's you same, know, and uh, that's if you were around hotel. there, you were pretty much in the loop. After Ray Stevens pile drive Jimmy Snooker, he had breakfast mm. at the next table next to us. The you know the next morning, so you saw a lot and hung out with the boys at the bar. Well, that's the same hotel uh, where the Snooker Argentina issue it is. happened, right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yes. Yes. Sal, you mentioned that Stan Lane has walked away from the business. It's not to health issues or anything. Is he just disgusted oh, with the business? Or? Guy looks like a million dollars. So why has he <laughs> walked away? I have to ask, as you know, as a fan. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, some guys, when they retire, they retire. Um, you know, he never had, I guess, a ton of close friends in the, in the business. Certainly, uh, you know, he doesn't have any problems with anybody. Okay. But, you know, he's just trying to enjoy a quiet life. The truth is, if it wasn't for me, when he walked away, he may have never wrestled again. But, you know, I talked him into several, uh, doing several different things, some of them for me, some of them for other people. Um, and he made some comebacks. But it was very limited. It was one night. And uh, the last time I talked him into a comeback, I told him to be the last time I talked to him about it. And it was. Mm-hmm. We went out, me and him and Bobby, um, went to the ring with the Rock and Roll Express two nights in a row, and that was it. And he just lives a peaceful life with his wife. And look, the truth of the matter is this, guys. Um, There are plenty of people who don't engage with wrestlers anymore. I mean, I don't know how many people engage with people from their work after they retire. And and that's – now, he'll make some conventions from time to time, certainly. And I just had him do a, a, a virtual signing with High Spots. You know, uh, Michael Bikikio over there at High Spots, uh, he's actually going to do one with Gary Royal next week. Um, but I've booked several people there, and, um, you know, they seem to to enjoy that stuff. But he took over Wrestle Reunion, changed the name to WrestleCon. Um, you know, through Ray and Sharon Courts, I, you know, had contacts with hotels. I turned all of that over to Michael and told him, you could just carry on without me. Half the time, I'm extremely upset I did that, and the other half, I'm extremely happy I did that. Sal, the amazing thing, it's, it's not, it seems like all these wrestlers, the list of them from San Martino all the way down, have this incredible trust in you. So I'm, I, I have to ask you this. The one guy that seems to have a problem with you is Jim Cornette. What's the issue there? I'm not, I'm, if there's an issue, I'm not aware of it. I had, I had read somewhere where he, was shoot, he shot hard on you about the wrestle reunions and that he, you know, he didn't like the way you ran them. I don't know. Maybe it's in reference to you saying that people thought you ripped them off or whatever else. But I was wondering. If no, you I certainly didn't rip them off. I got news for you. Everybody got paid at Wrestle Reunion, including Jim Cornette, who also came down um, and uh, bought a lot of merchandise and so forth. The only problem that I that I know of that Jimmy had with me was 
again, at Wrestle Reunion, you see things you didn't see everywhere else. And, um, you know, I convinced Mick Foley to team up with Terry and Dory against all three of the Midnight Express. And I booked the Midnight Express to win the match. And uh, Jim just felt like the Midnight Express were the greatest losers in the world. And, um, you know, I, he thought that that was what should be done. It's really not what I wanted to do. And, of course, unfortunately, I couldn't take the thing much further because things blew up with Clear Channel. But, um, you know, other than that, I've never had a problem with Jim Cornette. Uh, not that I know. We worked together many times uh, when, so maybe, uh, when I was maybe. a referee for the NWA. I uh, haven't spoken to him in a long time. Now, um, I, did, uh, I did try to call him uh, several months back to, uh, to give him a chance to make some money. He never returned the call, so maybe you're telling me that's, that's why he did it. I don't know. But, no, maybe uh, maybe I, it's like you first said. First time I've ever heard of anybody being mad, being told to win a match. Maybe maybe he just didn't agree with your booking then. Maybe it was just something as stupid well, as that. Well, probably right? didn't. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Can you? Everybody always has a better idea. You, right. You yeah. mentioned. But, uh, you mentioned twice you know, about. I put it this way: I didn't hear any of the Midnight Express saying, "No, Sal, we don't want to win." <laughs> <laughs> there you that go. Yeah, right. And said we want to lose. <clears throat> You mentioned uh, the the videos that you finally got your hands back on were in litigation, and then the problem with Clear Channel. What happened there? Like, what was the situation? Well, you know, they didn't live up to the to the written part of the agreement, as far as I was concerned, and certainly not the spirit of the agreement. So, you know, we took them to court, and um, we didn't win, and they held on to the tapes for the specified time. 15 years. Then my attorney, a guy named Chris Rodham, who I met through Brian Blair, um, I told him, I said, Chris, the 15 years is up. Let's see about getting the videos back. So he made a call over there and, uh, you know, they said, hey, that's fine. As long as he releases us from any harm, nobody here cares anymore. You can have them. So um, that was it. So we just signed off and um, that we both would not bother each other anymore about this. And, I, and I've got the tapes. Now it's just a matter of... Uh, doing something about it there's a place here that can digitize them and but we're talking about a lot of tapes and it's not just the wrestling we've got all kinds of interviews conducted by bill after joey styles um I'm, I'm not sure who who else but a lot of the legends did length, lengthy interviews excuse me that was um you know part of it as well then i think the qa sessions are filmed there's all kinds of stuff Wow, that's going to be incredible. I think you're going to do well with that, yep. man. Yep. By the sounds of it, oh, my God, this yep. this is going to be great. Well, look, the truth is I would have thought WWE would have scooped this stuff up in five minutes. So many Hall of Famers, and quite honestly, every time you turn around, somebody else who's a part of it is dead. Yeah. And yeah. in many guys, this is their last matches. You know, they didn't wrestle necessarily anymore after this, some of these people. Sal, as you're mentioning, there's been so many wrestlers, you know, that have passed over the years, way too many. Can I ask you what was the most upsetting uh, passing of a wrestler to you personally? Hmm. It's, not, um, it's not an easy question. I will tell you the first one that struck me was Ernie Roth. Um, I was walking into Madison Square Garden, and I used to go up on the on the back elevator, and the guy named Dan Bruno who helped me a lot over the years, he told me the wizard was dead. I didn't even believe him. And uh, then Paul Vachon walked in, and I said, Paul, what about Ernie? Is he dead? And he said, yeah, he's dead. So that was that. Um, you know, I guess some of the ones are more, uh, are more shocking. 
uh, you know, like I didn't expect Roddy Piper when I got that news. I, I really didn't believe it. Um, you know, luckily, and I'm sorry if I'm not remembering everybody, but, you know, Sherry Martell, that certainly, uh, we were very close. She spent the night at the house several times with my parents in New York and then um, out in Colorado. So that was, again, unexpected. And uh, we were very, very good friends. As a matter of fact, she's she's the one that got me into the AWA to start refereeing there. Um, and, you know, Nikita Koloff is the one that got me in the NWA. So, you know, you talk to, did you have to know somebody? Well, pretty much you had to know somebody, you know, everywhere. And then I just got lucky. J.J. Dillon took a liking to me, and we're still friends to this day. And, uh, it, you know, I guess, you know, J.J. started as a referee himself. And um, Bruno helped him quite a bit when he was a young referee. And in some ways, I think that J.J. saw himself in me. Um, and uh, I ended up doing TV for those guys in Philadelphia. And uh, when he came to the ring with the horseman, he asked me if I was holding up okay. Because I had really never done that many hours of TV under hot lights by myself with no breaks. And I said, no, I'm good. And he said, well, come see me when we're done. He said, I got some bookings for you. And then they started booking me on the Great American Bashes and things like that. But um, obviously, I mean, I, you know, I'm assuming you know Bruno is the biggest. Uh, you know, that was obviously a major, major shock. And I'll never get over it. I'm assuming you already knew that. Yes. I'm just trying to think of the other folks that have passed because so many have. Sure. Um, but the Bruno thing, I'll never get over. I'll never forget getting the phone call. You know, the morning, I know exactly. Put it this way. I was in basically the same place for two major events. And both in Yonkers. And in, in literally the same, same place. Um, one was uh, the bombing of 9-11. And the other was Bruno's death. There probably wasn't 20 feet separating where I was at the time of those two major incidents. Uh, but uh, other than that, you know, some of the guys like Jimmy and Stan, if they see me call, many times, you know, they figure somebody's died. Mm. Mm. Well, Sal, I want to thank you for coming on the show for a second time. Oh, First, yeah. We've only known each other for a short time, but I could tell why everybody trusts you and like you. You've been nothing but kind to this show, helping us out any way you can. So we want to personally thank you for that. We also want to thank you for your first interview, which is one of our sponsors and a big sponsor, Jim Beam, loved your first interview and had helped us uh, join in partnership with Jim Beam. So we thank you for that. So, um, I just want to say from both of us, yeah. thank you, Sal, Big Cheese, Sal Carrente, for being a stand-up guy, a treasure to pro wrestling, and thank you for helping Long Island, or the world's, the world's. number one pro wrestling broadcast. Thank you, Sal. Sal. Thank you so much. Thank you. No no problem, and if Jimmy Cornette has a problem with me, I'm going to hopefully find out what it is because I don't have a problem with him. Um, you know, you can't agree with everybody on everything, but I... I and really, Sal, anybody I have Sal, a problem with, I don't deal with. While you're at it, Sal, could you find out what his problem is with us? Thanks. Thanks, brother. <laughs> and Sal, well, what I will like, tell you is this. When you look over the Wrestle Reunion events, if you see somebody who's a legend that's breathing that wasn't on one, uh, that, that's that's <laughs> there's a message in that. And then, Sal, don't get too upset with the Jim Cornette thing, right? It was me reading something yeah. and asking. Yeah. This may not even be true at all. Right? You know how the I, internet but, is. 
On this yeah. show, we have to ask the question, so please, yeah. I don't want to. You seem a yeah, little no, perturbed. No worries, but I, I do know he wasn't happy with the booking that night, and right. uh, it was a whole big thing. But like I said, um, you know, no, no hard feelings. The wrestle reunion events as exhausting as they were, and you guys really should look up those cards. And yes. um, as I get this stuff digitized, there'll be an announcement made because who knows? There may be somebody sitting in Japan who says, "You know what? I want this in my personal collection." Yes, and 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 they can have it because there's stuff on there, you know. CM Punk was in our first main event. Oh wow! Wow, nice. Yeah, it was uh, it was Dusty Rhodes, um, Dustin Rhodes, and Mike Graham against Abdullah the Butcher, Kevin Sullivan, and CM Punk. Wow, wow! And uh, Harley Race was out there. Oliver Humperdinck was out there. Oh, man. And look, I'm just going to tell you straight out. I called Dusty point blank and said, you know, we're going to try and book a couple of future legends on this thing. We want to put CM Punk in the ring with you guys. He 100% gave it a thumbs up. I talked to Mick Foley, who was going to referee the match. He 100% gave it a thumbs up. And, you know, we had no problem. He came there, did great. And uh, he certainly became a future legend for sure. you oh, got to yeah. make one promise, though, to Sal, to wrestling fans out there. If you do find that guy that's going to take this as a private collection, you should at least release one match so the general public can Gets see a taste. what a wonderful yeah. event these events you create. Well, well you you guys will have a taste because uh, Michael at High Spots has guaranteed that once I digitize everything, he's going to put a strong sizzle reel together to let Fan. people see. Okay. The people that weren't there live to see what it is. Can I ask how long this digital process will take, if I may? Um, not long. Look, there's so many tapes. I can't even catch. Probably 500 tapes. But, wow. But, but that's because of multi-cameras and, and then all the other things. But I'm just going to probably take 15 or 20 tapes, which are the actual matches themselves. Sure. Take them down, get those digitized. That should only take about a week. Okay. Then when that happens, then we'll give that to Michael, and, and he'll put the sizzle reel together. Excellent. The fans are salivating. I see Mike. He needs a drool bib, so we, we're good. The great Sal Corrente. Thank you again, Thank Sal. Thank you, Sal. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. God bless night. you. Thanks, Thank brother. Thank you, sir. You too. Thank you. Wow, that guy that guy does not disappoint. No, not in the this least. This is what you talk about, like hidden gems, dude. Yeah. Like, I love the hidden gem thing. Do you imagine, though? I'm 18, and oh, by the way, hi, this is Offering Seeker. Right. What the, How what about the? this? I'm having lunch with negotiating with Roddy Piper, Playboy yeah. Buddy Rose, and yeah. Colonel De Beers. Yeah. How about get up and see the pyramids or else? Wow. <laughs> All right, anyway, we're, wow. we're going to cut this out, guys. Right. We are back at 9 o'clock yeah. with pro wrestling legend Barry Horowitz in-house. So I wish you guys, hopefully you'll join us. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed the great big cheese, Sal Corrente. It was gold. It was. The guy was gold on his first interview and gold on this I want amazing, to see amazing man. I want to see these matches. Tell him to hurry up. And you know who else is gold? Who's it? Who else? The Monty and the Family family. Oh, yeah. I love you guys. We'll see you at 9 p.m. You've been watching This Week in Wrestling. And until next week in wrestling, later.